welcome to the laughing place. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have done that. Uh, rising big moons, rising sun. I, I, Mike is going to have to give this to me. Welcome to the laughing place podcast recording live from not but two. Rising Sun was a Michael Crichton novel from the 80s. <laughs> okay. So what is it? Bi- what is it? Bright uh, suns? Bright suns and rising moons if you're uh, oh. if you're there at nighttime. And it's the evening right now, so. Uh, but it's still light out, so I'm confused. Um, and whenever it is when you're listening to this, we should say them all. Uh, hello. Greetings. Salutations. Welcome to Earth. Uh, off planet. Welcome to the Laughing Place podcast. Today I am joined by Kyle Burbank. Hello. Alex. Waning Gibbous. Waning Gibbous. Isn't that one of them? It's a moon. Like, it's not a greeting it's... in Star Wars. <laughs> All of these to me sound like movies, so I'm, I'm confused. Okay. I just well, want. Uh, I just want to fit in. Waxing. Uh, Crescent. Crescent. Uh, Mike Celestino. Uh, welcome to Jurassic Park. Do, 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 do. That's all we can play. Uh, so, you don't Galaxy, the rest. Galaxy's Edge is open at Disneyland Resort, and one of the four of us has been there. Guess who it is? It's not me, it's not Alex, it's not Kyle, it's Mike. By process of elimination, it was me. And you might have seen his bright, shining face on some of our Star Wars Galaxy's Edge videos. I'll give, I like you, the, I, I'll give you bright, and I'll give you shiny, but I'm not going to give you face. Okay, <laughs> bright, sunning moon. Uh, shiny, um, on, I, I, I haven't watched them all because they kind of are all going up tonight, but... I did watch the one of you going through the marketplace. I thought that was very interesting. Yeah, that, that I thought was the one that turned out the best of the five uh, on-camera interview videos that I did. It was fun just to get to see a lot of the, the merch up close and, and talk about some of the stuff that I've already spent many credits on in the marketplace. Did you get the, did you get the uh, I guess you haven't been back, but there's like a, a $100 gift card that's supposed to be like a Black Spire... Oh, I forget what they call it, but whatever the money is. and Yeah, but to... I don't think that was available. If it was available at the media event, I didn't know about it. Or somebody had mentioned it to me, but I didn't see it. Um, but that looks cool. I'll probably end up getting that as well, even though I think it's a minimum $100 that you have to put on it at first. But it's like 100 Disney dollars. I mean, not Disney dollars, but $100 you can spend at Disney, right? So it's free. Correct. I believe it's, you can a... also just use it anywhere in the park or any any i would hope so yeah (laughs) but oh i i am just at a loss of words as to um the experience you had my favorite one of your videos that was the one with george pinocchio uh that suddenly appeared on your uh list of videos but i guess that was an error um, oh right! Oh, now I know what you're saying. I didn't know who you were talking about, but yeah, Disney accidentally sent me one of the ABC Seven's uh, media videos. That was an interview with Bob Iger, but you couldn't see Bob Iger. It was just the angle of the ABC Seven reporter, whose name I didn't know until just now. Yep, George Pinocchio. He's like their, I don't know, entertainment reporter. Because in LA, 
is the only is they have like actual reporters where all they do is just like movie premieres and things like that. And George Pinocchio is ABC's version for ABC Seven, and he's at a lot of like Disney stuff because you know one team one dream. Yeah, I uh, see him. I see him a lot. I just uh, had I don't watch network TV, I guess, which makes me sound like either an old man or a very young man. But um, <laughs> he I, was I, he when I I mean he's been around forever. So like I remember him when I was in college before, you know, you could stream stuff. Um, in any case, I, we, I, we thought we'd kind of – we'll talk about some other stuff later in the show, but I really want this to be the Laughing Place podcast crew ask my questions about Galaxy's Edge. <laughs> oh, that sounds great because um, I this is probably the one thing I'm qualified to talk about. I really have spent the last nearly four years either thinking or talking or writing or making videos about Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. It's really, uh, it's really up my alley. Well, I have one related to merchandise. Okay. Well, I know that you purchased a piece of merchandise, and I was wondering if you could tell us about that and maybe any celebrities that seem to gravitate towards it. <laughs> uh, well, I purchased more than one piece of merchandise, much to my wife's chagrin. But um, the the one that I think you're referring to is I, I bought a Kowakian monkey lizard, which is the species of pet that Jabba the Hutt owns in Return of the Jedi. And that one's name was Salacious B. Crumb. Uh, he looks like a little uh, monkey puppet that laughs a lot in that movie. But uh, there you go. That's the noise. Um, that was always one of my favorite little creatures in Return of the Jedi. And when I saw that they were going to have this uh, Kowakian monkey lizard puppet that'll sit on your shoulder and you can kind of operate him via this little controller that hangs down and you can uh, operate it with your hand like the Banshees in Pandora, the world of Avatar. Uh, I knew that I wanted it. Um, look look and the, at you, Mr. Nomenclature. <laughs> what? Which part? Pandora, the world of Avatar. <laughs> Can you tell I've been doing this job for a little while? Right. Like, I, in, in casual conversation, I will accept Pandora. I will accept <laughs> Avatar Land. But I don't know that anyone, what? including Joe Rody himself, has ever said Pandora, <laughs> the world of Avatar. Okay, this is James, call... James Cameron world. What do you call that section of Fantasyland at Disney World that has the mine train and the Little Mermaid? Isn't that new Fantasyland? Oh, okay. I didn't know if you were going to call it the Enchanted Forest, which nobody calls it other than marketing. I I had never heard that term before, but I I don't go to a lot of Disney World media events, so that's not What's the official name for old Fantasyland? Fantasyland. (laughs) Fantasyland. Sorry, continue, Mike. <laughs> anyway, what Kyle uh, was referring to was after I purchased the Kowakian monkey lizard, I was hanging out in Oga's Cantina, which is the local watering hole in Black Spire Outpost. Um, and, you know, just enjoying the atmosphere, hanging with my friend Todd Martens from the L.A. Times. And uh, I felt a tap on my back and turned around. And uh, who was videoing me with their phone from very up close, but Captain Marvel herself, uh, Miss Brie Larson, who was uh, captivated by the creature on my shoulder. And I kind of just gave her a wave and she laughed and uh, her friends all giggled and then they moved along. Wow. When her friends were there, were they all adventures or were like they civilians? Like, because I just figured she's hanging out with like Captain America and. Oh uh, no no. Uh, no, I figured it was the Clash of Demonhead. 
<laughs> right. Uh, I didn't see any other uh, MCU. Oh, I, actually, Colby Smulders was there, too, but I didn't see her. Um, From Antenna, Colby Smulders. Correct. Uh, n- nor did I see any other Scott Pilgrim uh, cast members wow. there. I saw a uh, of, of of her watching the like fireworks at the premiere and just like fangirl hard. Yeah, I saw that too. Apparently, she was pretty close to where I was, though I didn't encounter her during that portion of the evening. I was trying to crane my uh, arms over the heads of the very tall people in front of me to get a video of that full opening ceremony. Which you can watch on the Laughing Place YouTube channel. But I have a real question about the 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 monkey lizard or lizard monkey. I know when we were talking when we were doing the celebration podcast, we were wondering if they had like different colors and stuff besides the two we saw. Was that the case? I saw two colors. There's the standard one, the one that looks like salacious crumb, and then there's like kind of a blue and yellow one. I think those are the only two available. Okay. When you purchase something there, okay, so I got to... Wait, is your question going to be about which bag they gave me? Because they were definitely just regular Disney Parks uh, plastic bags, and I was a little befuddled by that. That's kind of where I was going to go with that. I was going to be like, the receipt, like, does it say the name of the place, or just say Disneyland, Disney Parks, or whatever it says on the receipts? That's a good Does question. It, I don't know, but they're in the other room. If you give me a minute. Like I, when I, they take your credit card, are they obnoxious about it? Or will they just say, take your credit card? Or do they like purchase co- credit card? I mean, what do they call that thing? Like, do or, they, or do they do something where, where like you hand them a visa and they're like, oh, you must be from Earth. Uh, okay, so the first thing I'll say to that is you, you can't use the word Earth. They they get bothered by that. They'll go, oh, you mean off-world? Like, Earth Ew. Earth doesn't exist in the Star Wars universe, so they can't acknowledge that as even being a thing. Um, but uh, on the other end of that spectrum, the shopkeepers were not as strict about staying in character and in-universe as I was kind of expecting them to be. Like, when I was talking about say swiping the credit card or whatever um it i don't know the interaction was very similar to what you would find in any other shop like, at disneyland do they ask, like i know like normally they ask you like do you have an annual pass like <laughs> i just feel like that yeah so i i asked if there was an annual pass discount and they said no there's only the cast member discount i'm not actually hmm, did they use the words cast member uh, I don't know. They may have said a blue, the blue card discount or something like that. Okay. So, so here's the thing that got really obnoxious during this event. So, my phone number is on Disneyland's list for Laughing Place because I work here, and but you know Mike was the one covering it for us. But there was some I don't want to say miscommunication, but we were trying to figure out what the day was going. These things are always kind of crazy, and Bob had a very fascinating uh, roundtable with Bob Chapek, which I'm sure we'll talk talk about but there was like he was supposed to meet his media rep at a point but he was already in star wars galaxy's edge and so we're trying to communicate about where to meet and she refuses to say you know, <laughs> in back to in the land or at the park she would say things like on planet off planet uh you know and 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 just didn't use like normal disney words which was right. very frustrating and because 
at this point, you're at this point, you're having lunch backstage. So I don't even know what the themed word for backstage is in this situation. <laughs> right, right. And like, it, we're, 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 it's not like we're having a guest relationship at this point. We're trying to work. Yeah. And I mean, it's not her fault, but God, you know, I know this is the marching order she was given, but you know, I'm just envisioning the first time someone wants to use the bathroom in, and they keep saying refresher and the person gets decked because they're like, I got to pee and speak English because and the funniest part to me was. Sorry, you mean yeah. basic. Oh, stop it. <laughs> oh, yeah, um, uh, you know what? I'm not even abiding by the laughing place uh, rules of, of uh, conduct here. In any case, uh there's a point where that theming is fun and there's a point where that theming is obnoxious. Well, I'd always and... heard that like, even, you know, cause they do that to some degree with every position, but I had heard like there was like a rule of three, like at, you stick with the story twice. And the third time you just tell a guest what yeah. they're asking. When I worked there, they, they called it play twice. Like you would say the funny story, to, like one time they'd be like, come on. You'd be like, Oh no, really? And then, the third time you'd sell Montreal, as long as it wasn't like character integrity kind of situation. But I, 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 I don't want to get too like I understand the LARPy kind of fun of it, but I feel like sometimes it prevents you from making a connection to a cast member. Like if you, you know, part of the fun of talking to a cast member when you're, you know, waiting to make a purchase or if there's a situation or, you know, they're serving you food is, you know, you, you, you have small talk and I don't expect them to reveal secrets or anything like that. But if they don't, if you're not able to have an honest conversation with them, I feel it takes away from it. I mean, if you want to play, uh, fine, let, you know, go play. But if you want to be like normal, I think you sh- the cast member should be able to feel that out and not go too overboard with it. Yeah, I have to wonder how long they're going to adhere to the standards that they've set forth from the outset here. And if that's going to be compromised eventually just because of however it's working out with the actual guests. I mean, I'm I, the one thing I want to actually put forth here now that we're still near the beginning of this conversation is I haven't though I did spend a a day and a half kind of wandering around in there and I was at the opening ceremony I haven't actually been in the land during like normal operating hours while the while the area was in like show condition so as to how it goes with actual guests in there and it's still like beyond me until uh this coming Monday so um the land itself, it looks impressive. Is it? The land is very. Or are you very... just a really good photographer? <laughs> well, I am. I am that. But I, uh, <laughs> I was very impressed with the land. I, I knew it was going to be big when they first announced it. I knew it was going to be even bigger when I saw the model at D twenty three Expo a couple years ago, and then I had heard that it was even bigger than we thought it was going to be when people started actually going in there. But even after all that preparation, it was still bigger than I thought it was going to be when I walked in there the other day. Like I was, I was like, at first I was lost and I had looked at those maps many times. It's my job to know where things are going to be. And I still couldn't find them. 
Uh, it took me walking around the land probably three full times to really know where everything was. And and oh yeah, and the the design and execution of the the landscaping and the structural work and the rock work and just the uh, engineering and architecture, just everything is gorgeous and incredibly detailed. And you really do feel like you've stepped outside of Disneyland, outside of the planet Earth, and and landed in the Star Wars galaxy. Absolutely. What's it smell? Uh, oh gosh, smells. That's a good question. Um, I'm, I'm sure there was some some you know classically Disney smell work going on, but it might have been too subtle for me to remember anything specific. How's the oh, uh, how's the so I'm a little confused on the merchandise presentation. So basically, it kind of looks like there's one section that's. Um, just like different stalls, like little mini stores. Is that? Yeah. So one area of galaxy's edge is called the marketplace. And that is kind of like a middle Eastern bazaar in its design. And that area contains the popcorn stand, which is called Katsaka's, excuse me, Katsaka's kettle. Then you've got black spire outfitters, which is the uh, clothing apparel store that sells. It's mostly like Jedi inspired robes and things you can get like obi-wan kenobi's outfit from the prequels um they had ray's a replica of ray's outfit from the last jedi and a bunch of other ones in there and then toy darian that's gonna be the first scene to close right like because <laughs> like how many people really want to wear robes i guess yeah especially in in southern california though it's been overcast <laughs> here lately um and then the toy darian toy maker is uh, like its name implies a toy shop it's got toys that are intended to look like they were made in universe so there are a lot of like faux handcrafted dolls and wooden toys that kind of thing and then the stuff that i was interested in in that shop were were the games replicating games that we've seen played in star wars like the board game dejeric which is played in the original movie in holographic form on the Millennium Falcon, but you can get a physical version of that, which I had to buy, of course. Um, <laughs> and then um, you can get a really nice deck of Sabak cards, which I actually already own a deck of Sabak cards, which were sold last year as, quote, Han Solo card game, because they couldn't get the rights to use the word Sabak. Uh, I, I imagine they've settled that uh, legal dispute, because now... Who who owns the trademark for Sabak? So uh, a guy, you know, the word the word Sabak has been around in Star Wars lore forever, but it was only ever in the expanded universe until recently. But sometime between then and now, a guy created an app where you could play Sabak on your phone, and bec- like I guess Disney or Lucasfilm had never registered it as a trademark or anything so he just owned the copyright and disney i think they went to court with him and said you know it's been around forever and that they had all this evidence or whatever i'm not sure how that shook out but anyway now they can make a sabak deck that says the word sabak on it and it's a, a much nicer deck than the one that i got that was licensed for solo last year and then across from did you end up up buying that too yeah of course i did okay (laughs) <laughs> well, I'm curious. I'm curious because there's a lot of cool things in the land. I, I mean, had, like, I, I mean, and I'm not even, a, I'm not as big a huge Star Wars fan as you are, but yeah. there's just a lot of things that I'm like, ooh, that's kind of cool. So, 
Yeah, uh, I had kind I, of a curious. I had a mental list going in of the things that I wanted to buy while I was there for the opening night because I know I've learned my lesson over the years with Disney parks that if I see something that I want, I have to buy it right away because if I come back next time, there's like a 50-50 chance it just won't be there anymore or it'll sell out. Um, so I just I had this list of things I wanted to get on that night and I got them pretty much all of them. So um, I, I'm not going to spend much money, hopefully, for the rest of the year in, in Galaxy's Edge. But I say that and I probably won't stick to it. Um, well, you know, it's kind of curious. So, I mean, we won't know this for a long time, but. You know, a normal merchandise store will cycle through merchandise all the time, right? Like, there's new things coming and going, you know. Yeah. But I'm curious to see. We've never had a place where the merchandise is so in-story, whereas, like, what do they do new? I mean, now, obviously, the Tordarian can get new toys and, Mm -hmm. you know, but there's only so many robes you're going to sell. And so I'm kind of curious to see all this stuff is fun from opening, and you know, I have no idea how it's doing in terms. I know that I know they ran out of green milk today, but I don't know, you know, if it's <laughs> flying off the shelves faster than you know because they have to forecast these things. But what what's the merchandise going to look like in a year or two years? You know, I think it's an interesting thing to to see. Yeah, you know, it's a good they... question. And as as new uh, Star Wars media comes out too, I have to wonder if they're going to start incorporating that into i mean obviously they've said the movies are the movies and the tv shows or whatever are going to affect what happens in the land somehow but um hopefully the merchandise will carry over too like we'll see stuff from the mandalorian or episode nine pop up in galaxy's edge later this year and and that and that's stuff that's already been sort of you know could be planned for but i'm curious to see if uh, i know you know as star wars lore expands after episode nine, will they change the land to bring in that storytelling, whether subtly or not? Because one of the cool things that I liked about Star Tours lately is as the, as the episodic films would come out, they would, right. you know, bring that in. And then they brought in, you know, Batu kind of to give us a tease. I thought that's fun. And, you know, kind of changed, especially a park like Disneyland where it's, you know, they, you're always looking for something new. Sometimes something new is, you know, the classic version of Soren. But, you know, it's it, I, I, it, this is Star Wars. This is going to be the Star Wars presence at Disneyland in addition to Star Tours forever. So as new characters come out, you know, as how are they going to handle that? Like right now with Marvel, they don't really have a presence. And Marvel's a little – there's, really, you know, a little more loosey-goosey with timelines. But – you know, they bring out the new characters, they change things up. I'm curious to see how they handle that with Galaxy's Edge. Yeah, that's a really good question. And I actually want to talk about this as well, because the big difference between what they're doing with Marvel and what they're doing with Star Wars is that they've established that the Marvel continuity in the parks is actually separate from the MCU. Because uh, now I've actually seen an interview with Kevin Feige where he addressed this, because in the Guardians of the Galaxy ride at DCA, uh, Peter Quill has his Walkman, which is destroyed in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, the movie. But they've also got Mantis, who they met in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, the movie. So the timeline doesn't fit in anywhere. It's just kind of separate. Um, and he said, yeah, the, the theme parks are just going to have their own kind of like their own timeline. And 
the difference with Star Wars is that the timeline fits in and everything is canon within the land. Everything that happens within the land is canon within the Star Wars universe. And the, the setting of the land right now is between episodes eight and nine, between The Last Jedi and The Rise of Skywalker. Um, you know, the Battle of Crate has happened. Uh, there's a book called, what is it called? Smugglers. I had that around here somewhere. The, the book about Hondo. Um, I'm like blanking on the name right now. But uh, Smuggler's Gambit? Smuggler. Uh, Alex, do you remember? You uh, reviewed it. It, no, uh, Mike reviewed that reviewed specific it. one. Sorry. I did the first. I did the first one in that series that's like based on Solo, though. Yeah. Anyway, that that book, uh, it's a, kind of like a young adult novel novelette that uh, sets up the the Millennium Falcon Smuggler's Run attraction, and it explains how Hondo comes into possession of the Millennium Falcon and sets up that business on Batuu. But it's very very specifically set after the events of The Last Jedi. So the question is, like you've mentioned, after The Rise of Skywalker, how how is that going to change? Is Are they going to acknowledge whatever happens in that movie in the land? Because you have a presence of the First Order and the Resistance, and I can't imagine this trilogy is going to end with the First Order still in control of the galaxy. So does the timeline freeze on Batu? Or eventually will they catch up and, and whatever happens uh, takes effect in the land as well? I think that's a, a major question that I had. If I if I had another question to ask the guys that were there the other day, that would probably be it. It's yeah, called I, Pirate's Price. Pirate's Price. That's it. Yeah. I, I, I think it's interesting to see the subtle differences uh, between how they're handling Marvel and how they're handling Star Wars. And I, I like it. Because Star Wars is very there's one continuity, and you know there's not there's no time travel or anything alternate realities or anything like that at least not yet, um, and it's very much focused on placemaking. You know, Tatooine has a flavor, Hoth, Bespin, Coruscant, Naboo. You know, we know what those planets look like. We know what they feel like. Um, and that's important. Well, it's not necessarily one planet, you know, but two's obviously new. But we that's very important to uh Star Wars. Marvel it, they have, you know, obviously different universes, the MCU, there's the you know, the comics universe, there's the ultimate universe. I mean, there's that that's never been really a problem for comic books, right? And there's time travel, I mean, you can even say Endgame created the theme park universe if you really wanted to. Uh, and they, but what makes what's important to Marvel is the interconnectivity of it, and they seem to really be playing that up. Whereas uh, the Hong Kong experiences will feed into the DCA experiences; they're different, but they'll be interconnected. I mean, you know, it's a little—it's a little bit more expensive to do all the Marvel attractions than it is to see, you know, 22 films. But they're—they're they're leading into what makes those brands special because Marvel is just takes place for the most part on our world in New York City. It's not that interesting of a place. It's what happens in that place that's interesting. Well, what's weird to me is that they go through all the trouble of creating all this interconnectivity and stuff between uh, Paris and Hong Kong and DCA, but then. 
even at DCA, you have Baby Groot in the attraction and Big Groot outside of it. So it's just like you went, you did so much, and then you like, eh, whatever. Yeah, yeah. You, you, I, I, I don't, the whole Baby Groot in the ride and the Big Groot outside definitely, I don't say bothers me, but I find it an interesting choice, especially since they have Baby Groot, they or they had Baby Groot at Hollywood Studios. It just seemed to be, I don't know, odd choice. But well, they're, Baby def- Groot they're definitely not continuity. A... Uh, I don't, I don't, I don't uh, continuity uh, focused as Star Wars is. Baby yeah, Groot needs an indoor meet and greet space, and I have a feeling when Marvel Land opens, he'll have that space. And right now, it's just you know, it's the decision of no group meet and greet versus the one they can do outdoors. Well, also, I mean, after Endgame, there's. There, you can meet characters at the park who are dead, and I'm curious as like, – particularly with Captain America, will they eventually change out Steve Rogers' Captain America for the presumed Sam Wilson Captain America? Yeah, th- I think that's something that they're not going to do. I'm I'm willing to put money down on when Marvel or whatever land they're going to call it opens next year that you're going to be able to meet – you know, Tony Stark, Tony Stark, Iron Man and Steve Rogers, Captain America. I don't think that's going to change. I think that's the big difference between what they're doing with Marvel and what they're doing but, with Star Wars, because, you know, if a character is dead in Star Wars, you're not going to see them in Batu. Oh, I, I, th- I agree with you that when Star Wars Land open, you'll meet, you know, you'll be able to meet the classic Avengers. But eventually when that Sam Wilson, Captain America movie comes out or Disney Plus series or whatever it ends up being the temptation for synergy will be too strong. That could be. And, and, um, and because that, I mean, bring it back to star Wars. I can't imagine when, I mean, if anyone believes episode nine is the last episode movie, they're going to make, you know, I'll sell you a bridge, but you know, 10 years from now, when they go back to this thing, you think they're not going to reference the latest star Wars film someplace in a Disneyland. I just don't buy it. Well, yeah, I think I think Fatu is built with that kind of adaptation in mind, though. Like, I think ten or fifteen years down the line, if they do an episode ten, it you know the land can definitely be updated for, with that in mind. So, what's interesting about our conversation is is we're talking about the land, but there's actually a ride. So, they were supposed to open with two rides. One, some you know, the shorthand was the big ride and. The Millennium Falcon Simulator ride, right? Right. <laughs> the big ride's not open. Rise right. of Resistance. Millennium Falcon Smuggler's Run, which I believe you might be the only person who actually calls it that. Uh, what are other people calling it? They're just going to call it the Millennium Falcon ride. Okay. <laughs> no, we even uh, trying to put an apostrophe in because we should. I can, <laughs> I, ha- I cannot write it without typing the apostrophe. I've had to go back and correct it so many times. Well, nobody calls it Indiana Jones and the Temple of the Fruit and I. Well, that's no, not even, Indiana yeah, Jones Adventure. Jones Adventure is technically oh. the name. Well, everyone but just you, says Indy. Indy. Yeah. No one even says Indiana Jones. They just say Indy. Well, yeah, and we call Space Mountain Space, but. <laughs> well, I think that one might some some less insider people might call it Space Mountain. <laughs> okay. I, I think I, that, um, I, I don't think anyone call uh, you know Hista. Uh, I, I don't know how m- much penetration that acronym got. 
Uh, but I would like to take a moment of silence for my favorite uh, acronym ever, R2P2, now that the sign is officially gone. Thank you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I'll tell you our pers- – or at least my perspective of the ride, right? You go in to the Millennium Falcon, and then you get to pilot it. There's different positions, and it's kind of like Mission Space. You have uh, a you have a one in three chance of piloting it. Okay. For the ride. So How many what, times have you ridden it? Twice. Okay. And were you in the same? Were you in the front row both times or the back row? So, I have to admit, I I kind of cheated, but I saw where people were standing when they were handing out the cards, like as I was approaching the area, and I I arranged it so I got pilot both times. But I did do I did do left pilot and right pilot. So I got a different experience both times because left pilot, you can only steer left and right. And then right pilot, you're steering up and down. And right pilot also uh, sends the ship into hyperspace. So that was... That's kind of cool. Yeah. How's the ride? I think the ride is pretty good. It's pretty fun. It's not something that I was blown away by. Um it, I did it twice, and I was like, okay, I'm good. I want to go explore the rest of the land again because that was way up, way more up my alley. But, you know, I'll preface that or anti-fest that with saying that uh, flight simulators have never really been my thing. And when they announced both rides, I, I, I've known since that point that the Dark Ride, the Rise of the Resistance ride is going to be something that I'm really excited for and the flight simulator was always going to be secondary to me. So it's, it's a ride that I'll go on when there's not much of a wait, but it's not something that I'm going to queue up for more than like half an hour for. The, the, so to me, I mean, obviously being in the Millennium Falcon is cool, but I kind of feel like, I mean, I'm okay with simulators. I mean, they are what they are, but we've already done the star Wars simulator, <laughs> you know, right. it's not, yeah, I, that too. It's, I just find that, Odd. So here's my kind of question. It each pod seats six people. Correct. So presumably there's like a gazillion of these things, right? I think I heard there were six. Uh, I don't. I don't know. I saw the. I saw the schematic that somebody had put together, just based on uh, rumor. But I, I don't really know how many. So pods. so thirty six. How long's the ride? Five minutes. Okay, so there's no way they do 36 guests every five minutes. You, you think that's too many or too few? Too little. Because okay. if they did if they did 36 guests every five minutes, and, and that's the ride time. What about like cycle? You know, getting them in and whatever they do. Do they? Do you have seatbelts? You do have seatbelts. I I didn't realize on my first time sitting down, and I was like, I was. I mean, okay, actually entering into the falcon cockpit and sitting down was the most exciting part of the ride for me so like i'm you know teary-eyed or whatever and like absorbing the environment and the cast member kept telling me to put my belt on and i just didn't hear them (laughs) they had to like come over and go hey you're not putting your belt on and I, i finally did it but yeah there's there's a there's a safety restraint yeah cause so cause if you had 36 guests and let's say you did 15 cycles an hour yeah then that's only 540 guests 
Is that the slowest capacity attraction that you can think of? There's no. They wouldn't build this something with 500. I mean, demo. Oh, there, there has to be more. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I still. Only, only having gone there, through there twice, I still can't figure out how they're switching out. I mean, something. Well, that, I guess. Rotate. I guess that's my was that that was my question. Is there's got to be a gazillion of these things? Yeah. And can you tell? Like, when you go meet Mickey, you can kind of tell how they get their throughput. And I'm not going to go into any more detail on that. Yeah. But do you get that sense in Millennium Falcon? Like, suddenly there's like 12 docking bay doors or whatever. And no. I think that you go down a hallway into the cockpit and there's a airlock there and it's kind of, you know, there's two doors like like in boarding the Twilight Zone Tower of Terror in DCA, you know, um, and I think when when the first door closes, the second door rotates around and the next pod comes around and then that door opens after the first door opens you know what i mean so they're kind of switching out the pods while you're waiting in the hallway to go into the cockpit pretty sure that would make sense but how would you rate the uh intensity of the actual like simulator and the motion oh it's not it's not even star tours level of like thrill i would say there's no big dips um it's it's, it's a like but yeah, it's a moderate amount of movement that matches what you're seeing on screen. But there was never a moment where I was like holding on for dear life. Like that remember in the original Star Tours when you take that first big dip and everybody's like, "Whoa, there's there wasn't a moment like that that I can recall." Does hyperspace kind of give you the same sensation or is even that a little weaker? It's probably a little weaker. You're tilting back, you know. That's it's it's not ex- as extreme as Star Tours, I would say. Hmm. So, I don't know. Maybe I'm underselling it, though. But, I, yeah, the the actual, like, from the point where you sit down in the cockpit to when you leave, where that was my weakest uh, part of all of Galaxy's Edge. To me, it's the part that I am less looking, least looking forward to going back and reliving uh, next week. Is the queue cool? The queue's great. Would rather hang out in the queue than be on the ride, I think. Hey, that's how I feel get... about Hogwarts. <laughs> yeah, got oh, that, me too. Got that right. Oh, me too. Yeah. Uh, do you get to, like, sit at that chess table? Or... Yes. Yeah, so you, uh, you're you kind of walking through the queue, and you get to a point where you reach the door that Han and Chewie come in through when they enter the Falcon for the first time in The Force Awakens. Uh, it's not the uh, the boarding ramp that they use in the original trilogy, the one that like comes down to the ground. You're entering from the other side of the ship, which is like a docking port or whatever, and um, and you enter right in there, and then to your left is the room with the Dejarek board that you can sit at and take your photos, and then there's... Um, uh, so uh, another kind of cool thing when you're while you're waiting in that section is every once in a while... Uh, the ship will malfunction and all the lights will go down and you, there's a light that's blinking over in the corner. And if you run over and like hit it, everything will like power back up and all the engines will start humming again and stuff. So that was kind of a neat little interactive moment while you're waiting in there. But uh, you're, you're given those pass cards that have a color and your assigned role and you're just kind of waiting in there for them to call your color. And then you, line up and stand on the spot that is your uh, 
designated uh, role. It's a, it corresponds to your designated role. If so that makes sense. Jimmy Fallon style. Um, now, did you talk to anybody who wasn't a pilot and what their experience was like? I didn't, but I was kind of like keeping my side eye on what was going on back there. And it, I, I, all I was thinking was if I had waited several hours for this and was assigned to press the fire button every once in a while, I would have been a little disappointed or even more. What I, yeah. What I heard is that like just the visibility from back there isn't that great. And your, your thing to do isn't as fun. And that, you know, and like it's very similar to mission space when like you have your button to press, but at least on mission space, everyone gets the same view. Right. That, that seems accurate to me. So, I have a couple food and beverage questions. Okay. And I know that's... you. I know you're not an expert, but I've, my question is not particularly on the food okay. itself. But the the one thing I've noticed is so the land open today. The, the reservation system seems to be keeping the wait time reasonable. Um, yeah. During yeah. this just process, but what I've heard from the previews and from today is that the cantina is just a mess. I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean, like, just getting in there is very difficult. Yeah. Is it that uh, cool? The cantina was probably my favorite part of the land, and I wasn't expecting it to be. I was actually expecting to like one of the other shops, the um, Doc Ondar's Den of Antiquities, the <laughs> most, but that ended up being a little bit smaller than I thought based on the concept art that was going around, which was a little inaccurate. Um <laughs> But uh, the cantina is great. The atmosphere is great. DJ Rex is the star of the entire Galaxy's Edge to me. I could sit there and watch him for hours and hours. And I, I love his entire cycle. He has all these callback references to his job as a Star Tours pilot. Um, and then every once in a while, much like the Millennium Falcon, DJ Rex will just malfunction and shut down. And the bartender has to kind of like reboot him. And then he powers back up and he has lines that are straight out of Star Tours uh, about still getting used to his programming and stuff and how it's his first time. You know, it's our first time there and it's his, too. And and uh, it's just fantastic. It's, it's really like directed right at Disney Parks fans and Star Wars fans all at the same time. And it really it really hit home for me. Two follow ups. One, does this mean that Star Tours is now officially canon? Okay, well, Star Tours is canon already because it appeared in Star Wars Rebels. So, uh, oh yeah, you're right. Um, that I don't know. So, okay, now With here's, Captain Rex, right? Here's a here's an even better question because uh, in in part of the dialogue that Rex says in the cantina, he says he remembers. No, he says he had a dream where he was piloting a star speeder and blew up the Death Star. So <laughs> I, now the, that's that complicates the canon question. Uh, well, but. I think if it's a dream, I mean, I, I think they've been pretty clear that this classic Star Tours ride is not canon. But that's Star probably Tours true. Existence, that's yeah. kind of cool. Is, um, my follow up question is this one is I think it's been widely report, reported that um, there was supposed to be a restaurant, but it didn't make the cut for uh, round one of Galaxy's Edge. Mm-hmm. So, does the cantina feel like it satisfies that 
I don't, I don't want to say culinary experience, but that um, your need to be in a Star Wars cantina. I mean, everyone wants to go back to Mos Eisley, right? I mean, like that kind of feel. Do you that's, feel like you get that experience there? That's definitely what they're going for. It's very reminiscent of the Mos Eisley cantina right down to the droid detector at the entrance, which I was shocked that no one else kind of knew what it was. But I think because I had the toy – uh, some action figure I bought a long, long time ago came with a little droid detector that's the same as the one when, you know, when Luke and Obi-Wan enter the most Eisley Cantina, the droid detector goes off next to them. And then the bartender yells like, you know, can't can't bring them in there. We don't we don't serve their kind in here. And um, that's right outside the entrance of the cantina. I love that detail. And, uh, of course, it's ironic that there is a droid uh, working as a DJ in there. But um, I'm sure – and I didn't I didn't do the build a droid process yet, but I'm sure if you built a droid and were rolling it around the park and brought it to the droid detector, it would set it off because they've thought of those kind of things. Um, but to, to answer your question, yeah, that the cantina is – home base of galaxy's edge to me and it's the place that you're going to want to hang out when you're not doing other things it's it's a place i mean obviously the wait is longer to get in there than, than to do anything else i think but uh when when things calm down i think that's where you're going to head in between doing everything else and i just want to give a we kind of have to uh do this by law uh lpp homie carlos and his popcorn bucket of the day uh, yeah. What's the popcorn bucket for Galaxy's Edge? So, oh, okay. I've got an interesting tidbit about this that I haven't told you yet. Um, so, the popcorn bucket that I was hooked up with was a uh, mouse droid that you can get at Katsaka's Kettle, and it came with the outpost mix of popcorn. It's like three different flavors of kind of salty and sweet popcorn that's really tasty. And um, it's shaped like a mouse droid that you see on the Death Star in the original film. And the, the top lid kind of flips open and they slide in a sack of popcorn in there. But the interesting thing was that when I got home, I wanted to compare it to the remote control mouse droid that I bought at Disneyland a few years ago. And it's exactly the same size and may even be from the same mold, which I thought which I thought was interesting. But maybe I'm a dork. <laughs> That is interesting. <laughs> I think I think we're all kind of curious about those. I mean, this is why the shopping bag question came up. Like those things that we are all used to at Disney parks, but how are they pre presented in Galaxy's Edge? Like the Coke, you know. We I mean, they did that hoopla with the Coke that looks like it's about to explode, uh, and right. the Dasani bottle and all that. Right, it looks like uh, a thermal detonator, kind of. So. so what was the opening – I mean, take yourself out of you were working. What was the opening moment like? Well, okay. Uh, let me get it out of the way, the working part, because I was I was straining really hard to, like, hold my arms up vertically above the heads of people in front of me, which I know I mentioned already, but my uh, my shoulders are still aching from that. So uh, th that has to be – You should be... have your boss, like, comp you a massage. <laughs> okay. I'll keep, in, I'll keep that in mind. Um, but otherwise, it was really, really cool. Um, we had, let's see, Bob Iger came out. He did like a five-minute speech about mostly about George Lucas, actually. And he talked so long about George Lucas that I thought 
if George Lucas is here, he would have brought him out already. And then he brought out George Lucas. So I was proven wrong. Um, and then George talked for about 10 seconds and went and stood off to the side. And then they brought out Billy D. Williams. <laughs> I'd like to point out that George Lucas says something to the effect of like, they could have screwed it up, but they didn't. <laughs> right. And he, it's funny. The first thing he said was it's star tours on steroids, which kind of, <laughs> led me to believe that he had only done the Millennium Falcon ride. And I don't know, because like that wouldn't have been the first thing that I commented on if I had created Star Wars and came there. But um, I don't, maybe he's just thinking like, because he was so involved in Star Tours. Right. Maybe he thought like, this is what we did when we worked together the first time. And now Lucasfilm working together with Disney did something much bigger. Like, I, I think he's just comparing because he talked a lot about Imagineering and stuff. So I think he's taking it from the perspective of someone who had done this in the past, not sure. so much like as a guest would see it. Yeah, that makes sense. But in and, any case. <laughs> and then we also had uh, Lando Calrissian himself. Billy D. Williams came out Lando and never left me, baby. Right. And had trouble reading from the teleprompter. Um, but he only had a few things to say as well. And then it was Mark Hamill, who was a little bit more, uh, I think he had a little bit more to say. And then a little bit more to say or a little bit more to Ugo's Cartina. <laughs> uh, yeah, that could be both. But, um, then uh, Bob talked again for a minute and then they had a couple like scripted lines about how, oh, oh, Chewbacca appeared in the cockpit. Oh, oh this is interesting because. I didn't realize that anyone could get up into the actual cockpit of the physical, the full scale Millennium Falcon prop that's sitting outside of the ride, which, you know, you don't actually board that Millennium Falcon when you go on <laughs> the ride. And, and, and the Haunted Mansion is not all in that house? Right, right. It's all, <laughs> all a facade. Um, it's all fake. It's all trickery. You're being fooled every everywhere you go in a Disney park. You're just... Uh, you're just a sucker. You're a rube. Uh, so, sorry. Some, someone who works for Laughing Place, not as a child, did not – kept trying to figure out how they fit that whole ride into that haunted mansion. <laughs> they didn't understand that the elevator was actually an elevator or – Yeah, no. Uh, I, someday you can ask them. And okay. it wasn't me. Okay. Anyway. <laughs> um, and – there were some scripted lines about how the, the Falcon wasn't powering up correctly. And then they were like, who can fix this for us? Who has experience fixing the Millennium Falcon? And everybody gasps in the audience. And of course, who comes out? But uh, Harrison Ford, old man, Harrison Ford, grumpy as ever. Um, and I'll I, challenge you on that quote point, <laughs> but I'll, I'll get, I'll get, I will okay. get there. I don't know. Maybe I was just expecting him to be grumpy and he was, uh, he was fine. Um, but I, I joke that he was dressed as his famous character, Dr. Richard Kimball, um, <laughs> from from the first act of The Fugitive when he had the beard. Uh, and then and then the timing was screwed up on the little interaction that he had with the Falcon. It it started up before he hit the side of the ship. But he did he did shout out to Peter Mayhew, who recently passed. He was the actor who played Chewbacca for so many years. And that was a nice moment. And that was it. They shot off some some fireworks. It was really cool to be there and and really emotional. I was really glad that I had that opportunity. Uh, somebody pointed out that it was odd that everybody on that stage, except for Iger, was a an original trilogy person. And you know, Galaxy's Edge is set during the sequel trilogy that Disney made, 
so it was kind of an odd odd choice but uh i, I have a know, theory I, on that by the way i'm listening i wondered if since they couldn't open both rides at the same time if when the attraction actually features you know the new trilogy actors opens they'll do a similar opening ceremony maybe not to the same scale but they'll do something and they'll have those guys at that one could be could be i thought it was interesting that only half of them are disney legends I, I guarantee you they've offered it to Harrison Ford and he didn't want to do it, right? Doesn't yeah. that sound like something that he would turn down? I, I almost wonder if they were, they're waiting for that Indiana Jones movie, like kind of do it to promote that. Could be. But I, I first of all, I'm glad Harrison Ford didn't, you know, fly the Falcon into Fantasyland. Uh, <laughs> second, second of all, Harrison Ford, ever since I was able to understand who actors were, always was seemed very grumpy. Yes. And I couldn't tell if it was that he's introverted and he's an actor or if he was actually grumpy. But I've got to say, lately, I feel like he's, like, mellowing out about it. You know, I mean, one, he's going to a lot more fan events than he used to. I, mean, I don't know okay. if he's contractually obligated or not. But, you know, he's, he went to Star Wars Celebration. He went to Comic-Con, you know, mm-hmm. when it would, when he was in it. He even sort of gave, um, you know, the new solo a blessing. He showed up at this thing. He smiled. I want to know what Mark Hamill told him that made him laugh so hard. <laughs> like, if I ever meet Mark Hamill, that's my first question. Um, sure. And I feel like he was, I mean, he's old, but I feel he was a little less like, my agent made here, me be here kind of then then i've been used to like when he's like when it's been painful to watch him on a talk show or something i'm only here so i don't get fined and exactly and 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 i thought the peter thing was a nice touch i don't know if someone told him to do it or if he thought about it on his own but you know i mean he's obviously the most famous of the original trilogy actors um you know unless you count anthony daniels and (laughs) and yeah, you know, I think he. Uh, it's been nice to see him play ball with everybody. Uh, I'll agree with that, and I did notice that shift as well when, when he was doing press for the Force Awakens, that he did seem like he maybe had some coaching about how to do talk shows and stuff because it was drastically different than when I had seen him. I think on Conan once, and he was just like staring off into space and like <laughs> play, playing with the arm of his chair or something. It was like, <laughs> what is he doing? I don't know. And as 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 a introvert, I get it. I totally get it. But you know, it's it's part of the job. Sure. <laughs> um. So, anyone have else have, um, spanning from Critter Country to Fantasyland? Anyone have any other questions about Galaxy's Edge? Oh, I, I, they did like no masking of that other unopened attraction, right? Like, there's a standby wait time sign. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, you can go walk past the resist Rise of the Resistance queue. The uh, entrance way is there. Like you said, there you can tell where the standby line is, where the FastPass scanners are. The FastPass scanners are there, installed already. There's a wait time board there. It's just you can't go past that point. You can see through the trees. There's actually a waterfall in the rock work behind there, and that was in the some of the recent artwork that got released. And that kind of relieved me because I was worried 
there wouldn't be any uh, water features in the land. It just that's another thing. Once it comes out of my mouth, it sounds totally dorky. But I was like, why are there no water features in Galaxy's Edge? But now, now I know that there are. And once you get into the queue of Rise of the Resistance, there'll be a nice waterfall. I don't think you mentioned this, but when with the Millennium Falcon, did you guys perform about the same each time, or did you notice a difference if the ship was more beat up on the way out? Yeah. Okay. So the they actually give you a percentage of how you, well you did at the end of the ride. So you're, the mission is you're supposed to be stealing these canisters of coaxium from uh, a train, uh, very similar to the scene in Solo, uh, a Star Wars story that came out last year, um, where they're stealing the coaxium from the train. There you and, go, guys. Solo, <laughs> a Star Wars story. Yeah, yeah. I know how to speak the, the, the talk the Mar- talk. Um, Marty, Marty Sklar would be proud. <laughs> uh, anyway... The success of your mission depends on how much coaxium you get. I think you can get one, two, or three canisters. And you can also beat up the ship at various levels. So at the end, Hondo calculates the amount of coaxium you got and then subtracts the amount of damage that you did to the ship. And that gives you the amount of credits that you get. And it also gives you a a percentage. The percentage I got on my first time was 31 and then in our second go through, we got 25. So we did not improve, um, but hopefully after a few more flights, <laughs> we'll get there. And does that? Do you know? Does that tie into the play app? Like, does it remember? Yeah, I was trying to figure that out because I didn't scan. I didn't scan my phone on the way in or anything. But they have said that the the perform even this weekend or two days ago, they told me. Your performance on the ride will affect how the characters in the cantina or the bartender will treat you or whatever. So there must be something that wasn't they weren't doing during the media preview that they must be doing now that the land's open involving the Disney, the Play Disney Parks app where you're because you can accumulate credits as well. Now, I did I played around with the app a little bit yesterday and you can scan the crates that are scattered around the area and you find things that are in the crates and you solve little puzzles in the app. You can interact with some of the droids and the doors and the control panels that are around the area. And each thing gives you either uh, an achievement or a rank in either the resistance, the first order or the smugglers guild. And then you can also accumulate credits and what the credits can be exchanged for. I'm still not entirely clear on. Hopefully I'll learn that soon. So I, this made me think of something else. So there's three sort of merchandise opportunities that I'm curious about. One is the holocrons. Yeah. So there's Sith and Jedi holocrons. Right. And but you can buy like kyber crystals to yeah. add to them. So the cool thing about the kyber crystals is what what Matt Martin from Lucasfilm Story Group said on Twitter. I'm going to take him at his word. I haven't done the building the lightsaber experience yet either but as soon as i save up 200 clams i'm gonna go in there and uh build the lightsaber and you get to pick a kyber crystal of various colors and you don't really know like the idea is that you're picking it based on your instincts and then you find out later kind of what its characteristics are um and the kyber crystal goes in your lightsaber and it affects the color of the blade. And then you can take that kyber crystal out of the lightsaber, go get a holocron, either Jedi or Sith, and put 
I think put the kyber crystal in the holocron or next to it or something and it'll it'll tell you like which character has stored or uh I don't, now I'm trying to think of how it works exactly but uh, a certain character from the Star Wars saga usually a one associated with the force um has impl- implanted his or her thoughts or something in the kyber crystal and that'll speak to you through one of the holocrons so it's kind of like a weird double double function that the kyber crystals have and again this is just a, a whole other layer that i haven't even experienced yet so yeah. i'm and curious one thing, to check it out. one thing i thought was cool is i don't know if you saw star wars rebels but if you get a sith holocron and a jedi holocron and you put them together they'll sort of interact like they did in um star wars rebels yeah i heard that too but i haven't haven't seen it myself yeah it's on laughingplace.com you should check that out okay <laughs> um so so we talk so there's the the lightsaber and then you can also build a droid if i'm yeah so mistaken. i actually got to i got to kind of do a speed version of the droid building process for a little video that let me shot kind of interviewing a cast member about how that worked and the droid depot is actually one of the cooler shops in there it's got these conveyor belts there's one Conveyor Which screams think... Star Tours, by the way. Yes, like, I, I thought of that too. I, saw it. <laughs> I thought of that too in the original Star Tours. Star Tours. Um, but yeah, there's this conveyor belt along the ceiling that's got a bunch of astromech legs, and then there's like arms from a protocol droid. They're all like going along this path along the edge of the ceiling, and then in the back of the room, once you enter the experience area, I think they're calling it. There's a another conveyor belt running along the back wall. That has all the droid parts, and you you can pick between a BB unit or an R unit droid, R series droid, and and each part has a variety of colors. There's like the torso, the dome, the legs. If you're building the R series droid, and you can kind of mix and match, and then you carry those parts over to a building station. There's actually like a working screwdriver there that they walk you through assembling the droid and then you put the droid in this little uh slot and you press a button and he comes to life and then you get a remote control and you can also buy separately of course a 12 dollar personality chip that's aligned to the resistance the first order or the smugglers guild and that will affect how the droid responds to different things that it encounters as you're driving it around the land, which is another another thing that sounds really cool to me. I haven't personally witnessed it yet, but I'm sure it's it's very neat. To be clear, you are not allowed to use the remote control inside Galaxy's Edge. Wait, really? According to the press release they sent us. I did not know that. You can remote control it, like when you get it home, but asterisk number three says, guess... Uh, I, I can pull up the exact wording if you guys give me a minute, but I did not see this at all. But that's really interesting to me. Well, you know, and then funny is, is you know, they made this this concept art where there's like droids running around, and I'm like, how is this going to be space to have droids running around? And then like I don't know, a couple months ago, they released the same concept art but without the droids running around. Right, and, and they like, were that makes more sense. They were testing that droid that was rolling around Tomorrowland for a while that was supposedly going to be one of the droids rolling around, but we haven't seen it since then. <laughs> oh, yeah, but, I, forgot. I totally forgot about that. So what what do they mean by the droid will react to the land if you can't roll it around? You're just carrying well, it around? So, like, yeah, I think he'll beep and stuff. Um, In your arm. Get the... 
<laughs> yeah, like like a baby. Okay, so a droid will interact with various Bluetooth-enabled elements as it is carried around Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. carried around, just like you see in the movies <laughs> but, when they're but, carrying the droids around. But using a remote-controlled device to operate a droid while at the theme parks will be prohibited. Wow, I had no idea about that. That's really funny. Okay. They probably just don't want to get it trampled. I'm sure it's a hazard. They're already getting sued over people not knowing how to drive scooters. I'm sure they don't want a bunch of tiny droids nipping people's heels. <laughs> I, I I I feel like they developed this before they went to the safety team. And then they're like, uh, crud. That's, like, how-, that's how this reads. It's kind of like if you've seen the Casey Jr. play area at New Fantasyland in Storybook Circus, where there's steps to go inside the Casey Jr. train, but then bars to prevent you from going inside, and you kind of think, hmm, maybe <laughs> this wasn't thought out right. Just like the fence around the Millennium Falcon, which we didn't know would be there uh, until very recently. Yeah, but obviously, I mean, obviously people can't hit their head on the Millennium Falcon. Like I don't, I, I don't know why they wouldn't have a fence there. I, all right, it wasn't there in the many shots of that area that were in a lot of the promo material leading. Oh up no, because I'm sure what happened is is they built it and then, you know, there's a lot of like regulations because someone would hit their head because they right. they're concerned about like if I'm blind and I'm using a cane, but you have a low hang, like th- there's rules about that. You can't just right. have like people hit their heads on stuff. Sure. And and I'm not saying that – I mean we can talk about where's the line on safety and when's you know, when's it become kind of overkill. But like if you're going to – you know, I know I know somewhat Disney safety standards and I was I was really curious about that because I said, well, you can't like – you're not they're not going to let you go underneath the Falcon like in the movie because like Han has to duck his head, you know, and you can't make guests do that. So – they right. solved the problem by building a fence. Whether that fence was always supposed to be there or if it was a last-minute addition, uh, we might never know. True enough. And then it, I know I know you didn't – so did you actually get to like take a droid home? I have not. Uh, well, I did build – okay. I, I went through like half of the process of building a droid. It was kind of like in a cooking show when <laughs> you do all the ingredients in the bowl or whatever and then you – put it down underneath the counter and you pull out the one that was done. That was kind of how we, we did it on the video and they did not let me keep a droid. Uh, but, oh, oh, I did, I did purchase the uh, ready built uh, DJ Rex. Um, it's kind of like a, a foot and a half tall, maybe not a foot and a half, a foot tall uh, DJ Rex. That is like a Bluetooth enabled speaker droid. And he has all the phrases from the cantina and stuff. I, I had to get one of those. And then the lightsaber experience, I know you didn't get a chance to do it, but did you, did you get any sense as to what that is like? Uh, well, they they gave us some B-roll of that. It's in our 15-minute uh, Star Wars Galaxy's Edge revealed video on YouTube. And, uh, you know, people are calling it kind of a ripoff of the Ollivander's wand experience in Wizarding World of Harry Potter. But... Um, I mean, I, I could see how you could think that they kind of got the idea from that, but it's it's very different in that I think everyone in the room is participating, not just one person. Also, you, you have to prepay before you even get to enter, so it's two hundred bucks. You can take one person in there with you, and then you kind of get a station and and 
this guy Savi guides you through building a lightsaber. And it's supposed to be like very secretive, obviously, because we're in the era where there's no Jedi. This is like a, a clan of people who are like trying to pass on the traditions of the Jedi to like a new generation. Um, and, and at the same time, like hiding it from the first order who are stationed very nearby. Was that why Disney said we couldn't film? That could very, very well be it. <laughs> They're really or taking they just, the theming or they just wanted my 200 bucks. <laughs> okay. So, uh, Alex, you got any questions? I think I asked all mine. Sounds like, <laughs> I'm excited to see it for myself. Okay, so uh, just going to touch base on a couple other things. One, because, you know, this weekend, this week wasn't busy enough, Pixar released the new trailer for Onward, which is really our first look at that film from Dan Scanlon of Monster University fame, which seems like it takes place in a fairy tale kingdom. If the fairy tale kingdom went through normal sort of civilization and was kind of boring. <laughs> Alex, like you, a... you, see, you seem to have a reaction to this movie. What's your I, thoughts? I'm really excited for it. I mean, I, I love, well, I mean, as a kid, I love stuff like My Little Pony and Little Mermaid, obviously, and this has mermaids, which really excited me. The mermaid in the kiddie pool hanging out in the back of a, a subdivision was really funny. Um, but I mean, as I got older, you know, I loved things like Lord of the Rings, and um, I, I'm not like I haven't ever, I've never seen a Game of Thrones, um, <laughs> but I, I I like that kind of stuff, and this really appeals to me because it's really spinning it on its head. After thinking about it a little bit, I did start to think a little bit about Hoodwinked. For any of you who remember that, it was I don't even remember who made it. It was a Weinstein, a, not well. Lionsgate was it not well animated film but it had an impressive voice cast and it was actually really cute and kind of had a modern-ish spin on the Red Riding Hood story and a lot of other fairy tale characters by proxy and uh, and Shrek as well I mean that's the one thing I will say is you know we've come so far from um, from DreamWorks always seeming to try and uh, find out what Pixar's doing and then do something semi-similar that now we're almost bordering on the like Shrek fairy tale aesthetic. But I, I like it. It's something different from Pixar. It's not kind of what you expect them to do. And uh, honestly, the, the trash can raccoon unicorns um, left me in stitches. And I can't wait to learn more. Who do you think John Ratzenberger is going to play? Um, uh, oh, it'd be so funny if he's a mermaid. <laughs> if he's like a, if he's like a potato merman. I wonder if there's yetis and it, like it all comes full circle. That could be. That could very, very well be. I mean, uh, well, when we were we we got to see a presentation with um, the designers from Pixar, Craig Foster, um, who does a lot of the like um, I don't know if I would say graphic design. Uh, but like for Toy Story 4, one of his main roles is is making a lot of the like decorative antique things in the de- in the antique store. And he said that he very much likes to plant things that um, support Pixar theory. He likes to kind of mess with that. I could see it. Anyone else have any thoughts? I mean, it, it looked fun, but I don't know. It just seems it's it's very Marvel because there's Chris Pratt and Tom Holland in it. I actually but... thought of the the Netflix movie Bright. With Will Smith, 
because uh, that's kind of a similar present uh, premise where it's like a modern a modern universe but the fantasy elements have like carried over it's like a buddy cop movie where will smith is teamed up with an orc you guys seen the <laughs> trailer for i've that? seen it I've, i this saw the trailer to me. it got bad reviews so I didn't. yeah i haven't watched the movie but the, the premise sounded similar but i'm looking forward to to uh onward I, I, i'm gonna wrap up i mean everyone else can add in uh with actually going back a little bit to star wars with bob chapek's uh round table that he did with uh, some of the fan media at the opening of Galaxy's Edge. So, he, Mike, you were there. Uh, it's gotten a lot of attention. Um, I will say it's 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 no secret that Disney has doubled down on franchises, whether that's movies or at the parks, Disney Plus, whatever. Right? Like they believe and the consumers have shown that they're very interested in um, franchise-based experiences. I mean, I think you can go to Harry Potter Universal and the success they had with it to see that, yeah, it seems to work. Those things uh, draw eyeballs. Uh, Disney fans, or some Disney fans, you know, harken back to the days of Walt where they the perception is, is that there was um, – you know, non a lot more non-franchise-based experiences. Obviously, there's always been franchise-based experiences, from Sleeping Beauty Castle to Dumbo the Flying Elephant, and to an extent, the Matterhorn. But uh, you know, there's obviously original things like Pirates of the Caribbean, Haunted Mansion, Space Mountain. Um, and Bob was honest to you guys about that, and uh, didn't sit well with a lot of people. Yeah, I I really liked the conversation that we had with. Bob Iger there in Galaxy's Edge and Chapek. Sorry, I'm sorry, Bob Chapek. I'm I'm very tired still. Uh, <laughs> and um, I I don't know. I'm not one of those guys who gets really angry about theme parks or pop culture anymore. I think I think I was when I was younger, and there certainly are a lot of those people in this community, as I've seen in a lot of the comments on our YouTube channel. But um, I don't know. I've pretty much enjoyed most of the stuff that disney's been doing lately I, I you know pixar pier i think was marginal to me and there's some stuff there that i like and a lot of it feels a little half half uh half achieved or half realized um but what everything that he said in that conversation made sense to me in the moment when we were having that conversation um and and i thought he came off well and i i see a lot of hatred toward him in this community, and I I don't know if I really get it, but maybe you guys can explain it to me. Well, I uh, first of all, I want to say I'm impressed that he took the time to talk to you guys, and he was very honest, and I respect that too. He was not always talking corporate speak. He was telling you know you asked him questions, and I would say the questions were hard, but the you asked him, and he was he was honest. And sort of refreshingly show. So, and I hope that the reaction he got doesn't prevent that in the future, um, because whether you like it or not, you know he sh you you don't want him to you want him to be honest. I mean, he could have come in and lied to you and not explained. The, I mean, he talked to you like you're 
legitimate media. I mean, he was, you know, honest. He talked about investment. He talked about shareholders, which is stuff that we don't normally get when they try and, you know, blow pixie up as pixie dust up your rising moons. And <laughs> it's it's I I really and this is not the first time in the last year that he has reached out to fan media. And I, I, I don't – I want to thank him for that. I understand that – I, I want to add to that too that yeah. before and after the cameras were rolling, he was very, very kind to us. He he individually went up to each of us, asked our names, shook our hands, and then remembered all of our names. There were I think six of us in the group. At the end of the 15-minute conversation, he went back down the line, thanked us each for our time, and remembered each of our names, which I was – very very impressed by just as a in a as an interpersonal reaction i'm sure that's like a corporate training thing or whatever but it can't it, it even gave if it me is though impression. so many of those guys don't do it you know i mean we've all I've, I've been around the block enough to know to see many folks in his position that don't go to those to that length and this is a man on perhaps one of his biggest days of his career and to give you 20 minutes is something absolutely and i also want to say it's hard for me to get angry when they just spent a billion dollars on a land at disneyland and they're spending another billion dollars in a land at disney world i remember when disney spent less than a billion dollars a year on capital projects at domestically and that includes things like renovating hotels and stuff and now we're up to you know six billion about a year so i i mean and and the stuff they're building is great now i do like original attractions i get that i do think you know if it wasn't for original attractions you wouldn't have the legacy of pirates of the caribbean or haunted mansion but the consumers us the fans have spoken that we want this stuff. There wouldn't if this was just based on some original sci-fi property, there would not be the anticipation. The reason you bought the Sabak deck is not because they said, "Hey, here's some random card game from some weird alien world." Yeah. You bought it cuz you have a connection to it through the movies. Yeah. And I I, I just think we're 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 as fans we can be a little hypocritical. Yeah, and I want to add to that, too, because this is another point that I want to make about Galaxy's Edge that we haven't touched on. Um, you're kind of if you do and if you don't with this kind of thing, because of of all the people complaining about them investing a billion dollars into a an IP, a, a land dedicated to one IP, there's even more people complaining that they didn't pick a recognizable Star Wars location, um, that they invented a new planet, and... To me, like those two, those two arguments cancel each other out because they they picked something that a lot of people love, and they invented a new story, a new stage for m new stories to happen, and that to me is so exciting. When I when I heard that it was a new planet, it made perfect sense to me because you can't you can't just build most icely spaceport from Tatooine. It's not enough. You have to you have to have an amalgam of what Star Wars is and all the things it represents all in the same place. So uh, like like they've been saying, like the line is that you can go in there and have your own adventures. But it's just kind of like 
every every ingredient that makes Star Wars what it is got put into creating Black Spire Outpost or whatever. And it's not just the one ingredient that's, you know, Hoth, the ice planet of Hoth or the forest of Endor or whatever. It's kind of all those things all in one. And that to me is really exciting. So it's a, it's an original thing made out of an existing IP thing. And it it should please all of those people who want both of those things. But it, it somehow does the inverse and makes both the groups angry. But at the same time, there's a lot of people really exciting and really enjoying it as well. Well, and the Internet's a vacuum. I mean, this isn't by no stretch a swath of humanity. It's just a, it's, um, you know, it's just people who saw it and reacted to it. Right. Uh, but and 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 there's plenty of people on the Internet going like Disney, take my money about, you know, just I want to go to Galaxy's Edge. Um, and I agree with you 100 percent. It was the total right call to make this an original planet because you could do things that make it that make it work without having to shoehorn it in and waste resources on trying to make it match too much when you can't when that's not really your, you know, the spaceport of Mos Eisley is not going to be enough, so now you got to shoehorn in a lightsaber place, which doesn't make any sense necessarily. Mm-hmm. And now, you know, and a droid factory, and when in the end you can just take those elements, like a cantina, which exists across the galaxy, and kind of giving it the story, which made it. I mean, by making it a spaceport as it is, allows it to be sort of a melting pot of all of Star Wars, which I think is brilliant. Yeah, and people are comparing it to the wizarding world of Harry Potter where they've, they've built Hogwarts uh, Hogwarts castle and Hogmeade, Hogsmeade village, which were both locations from the books and the movies. But in Harry Potter, you have, you only really have that one focal point where most of the stories take place. Star Wars is a- about, you know, planet hopping and mm-hmm. picking, picking one of those planets that existed already was never going to be, satisfying in, in my yeah. opinion and the original concept for harry potter land and the original concept for galaxy's edge is the same guy so it's you can't like you know they they made a conscious choice and i mean going but kind of back going back to our marvel conversation you can't treat star wars as you would treat marvel as you would treat harry potter and i think that's in many ways that's like why dc has failed at making movies is they're just trying to replicate the marvel formula except poorly instead of focusing on what made their characters work and right. i think if they tried to make the wizarding the star wars version of the wizarding world or if they tried to make the marvel version of galaxy's edge it just doesn't make any sense with that said i don't think galaxy's edge would exist without having the wizarding world be successful oh, of before oh, of course not i mean they stepped the game up and they made these immersive – I mean, Cars Land probably wouldn't have existed without yeah. – um, but the other thing that he talked about, and I, I guess some people kind of expected this and some people didn't expect it, that while we know there's a Star Wars land coming to uh, the Disney Studios Park in Paris, it is not going to be Galaxy's Edge. He says that be he says the level of Star Wars essentially he says the level of Star Wars fandom in the United States warrants this level of investment, whereas that might not work in other parts of the world. So that that specific uh, item that came out of that interview didn't surprise me because I had seen the concept art that they put out for Paris and the additions they're doing there, and what it looked like to me always was just a miniature 
version of Galaxy's Edge, which just just like some of the elements like hand cherry picked and plopped in there. So I always kind of thought, okay, they're not going to build the same scale of experience that they're putting here. I don't know. I don't know what other people were expecting, but I don't know. What did you guys think? I guess I don't know. I didn't know. I mean, they were so vague about it. And that concept art was always sort of, you know, cloaked in fog. Right. I mean, it wasn't, you see, you see, you see uh, the sort of snowfalls of Arendelle, but you don't know what's there. Right, um, right, and and you know probably for they're still trying to figure all that out, but I don't know. I was, I mean, first of all, not necessarily France, but I think the UK has a huge Star Wars fan base. Absolutely. Um, I also know building something like Galaxy's Edge in France would be prohibitively expensive, and perhaps not even possible with their regulations and their just the economics of building in France. So I guess if I put my brain hat on, <laughs> or I, I that doesn't make any sense, but uh, <laughs> if, I, if I think it through, like it wasn't going to be Galaxy's Edge, but I just kind of, I guess, just presumed when they said they're building a Star Wars, you know, Star Wars land equals Galaxy's Edge. So I don't know. I just didn't think all that much of it. I was shocked that he was that, you know, he said that they're not I mean, because especially for a company that always wants to keep their options open, <laughs> that they're nope, we're not building this there. And so now I'm curious as to what it is, right? Is it just the rides? You know, about the land, is it different rides? I mean what's what's gonna happen there? Yeah, I think you always you also have to keep in mind that we're in a very weird moment for Star Wars right now where there were a lot of projects set in motion that uh, b- before Solo came out last year and underperformed. And now we're kind of like getting to the point where those projects are coming to fruition. And it's like kind of this big question mark, like does Star Wars still have the selling power that it did three years ago or whatever? And we're going to find out by the end of the year when Rise of Skywalker comes out. I think I think it's a no brainer that the, the theme park land is, is highly anticipated and a lot of people are going to want to go. Um, but I think that the the period on the end of that question is going to be um, Rise of Skywalker, and and that'll probably determine the more concrete future of Star Wars as a franchise and what Disney wants, how much Disney, how much money Disney wants to put behind it going forward. Well, thing, I mean, I think Rise of Skywalker, yes, but I think Galaxy's Edge itself, you know, it's we're not going to know for months, but. And I, and I honestly don't think we're going to know until it opens in Florida because, you know, Southern California is just its own little weird bubble anyway. But when international guests go to Walt Disney World, as they tend to do, how does that read with them? I mean, I think right. I'm, I'm surprised at the success Pandora had at Walt Disney World. Um, I thought it was sort of an aged franchise. Right. Uh, but the strength of the land and the strength of the attractions – I don't want to get in debate about it, but, you know, I mean, they're well received by the general public mm-hmm. uh, carries it and it makes people want to go. And it probably helps the movies. I think the next pan- Avatar movie will do better because the land helps build excitement for it. Yeah, and that's I, called I want, synergy. Yeah. Well, <laughs> it's usually usually it's the other way around. Right. Like right. the movie builds some excitement. And then you go to the park. Very rarely. No, because the park just treats such a microcosm of the public. But I think 
especially now in a social media world where you see pictures of these things and they just look so beautiful and you can't ignore it. I think the parks might be driving movie attendance. That's actually one of the few interesting things that came up during the panel that was held for the media preview before we got to go into the land. Um, Scott Trowbridge. Frustrating. Frustrating. Uh, yeah, it was, I mean, I wanted to scream a lot that morning, but I, I was at that point, I was like chomping at the bit. I was like, the, the land is there. Let me, let Kyle, me go in. Kyle had something funny to say about that, but I can't tell you until after we're done recording. Okay. <laughs> anyway, uh, Scott Trowbridge, the lead designer for Galaxy's Edge and Doug Chang were talking about how, oh, Doug Chang is, um, a concept artist for Lucasfilm who did, uh, the prequels and, some of the work on the sequel trilogy and and was a, a big contributor to Galaxy's Edge, how it looks. And, 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 uh, and, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but he would be considered like a Joe Rody level person for Lucasfilm, like just famous in that community. I would call him uh, OK to get even more dorky. I would call him the Ralph McQuarrie of of the current generation of Star Wars. Well, yeah, I was trying to give it to a Disney audience. Though. OK, OK. <laughs> Yeah, Joe, yeah, Joe like, Rody, like, but for Lucasfilm, yes. Right. Um, but I don't think he's done theme park stuff before Galaxy's Edge. I could be wrong. But no, uh, I didn't. I just mean like he's famous yeah. to Star Wars fans as yeah, and and probably no one else. Whereas Joe Rody's famous to Disney fans and nobody else. There you go. Uh, yes, that makes sense to me now. But we're saying how it's very possible, especially as time goes on, that Star Wars Galaxy's Edge will be certain people and younger people's first exposure to star Wars. And I thought, and and that hadn't occurred to me before. And I was kind of like wowed by that statement that kids can grow up knowing star Wars only from the theme park and then have their parents kind of clue them in that there's this whole other vast world of storytelling out there that if they like what they saw in the park, they can go and watch the movies and, you know, kind of hold certain aspects of the storytelling universe to them as they as they get older and kind of like it's it's just a great speaking of synergy it's just a great way to get a whole new generation into the franchise and then and as as a really big Star Wars fan I I hope that works because I'm I'm into Disney Star Wars I know a lot of people aren't but i like what they've been doing i like how much content is coming out i like that there's always something new star wars that i can either read or watch or uh play as a video game or whatever and and the the theme park land is a huge part of that well you know it's interesting my first star wars experience was star tours uh and not not the ride itself because I was I, I was a big scaredy cat, which is why I didn't watch Star Wars. Like Darth Vader just scared me, especially since like I saw the clip of the helmet coming on Darth Vader's like scarred head, and I was just like that just freaked me out. And yeah. so I didn't go on Star Wars, but I could see inside the queue, and I could see C three PO and R two D two doing their thing, and you know, and I saw the Star Speeder there, and that piqued my interest in Star Wars. I mean, I, I waited till I was ready to ride the ride and see the movies and i believe i went on the ride before i ever saw a star wars movie but that sort of aesthetic of star wars is what piqued my interest to begin with Mm. was just seeing through the glass seeing r2d2 and c3po touching the screen or whatever they were doing 
Sure. There you go. And, and I think we've entered an age where everything is a commercial for another thing. And, and that's just a, another part of that. So, uh, so I, I mean, I, I do, I, I know I kind of, uh, kind of, um, over saccharin in, in the article, but I really do appreciate Bob talking to us. I know not everyone was pleased with what he had to say, but at least he said it and was uh, honest about it. And, um, you know, you can you can talk about how he feels all you want, but I think it's an exciting time to be a Disney Parks fan. I mean, there's nothing – nothing's perfect, and that's fine. You know, I agree with you. Pixar Pier was odd, uh, mm-hmm. but I love Mission Breakout. Uh, yes. You know, yes I, I love what I'm seeing out of Galaxy's Edge. I love yes. that they're f- putting some investment into Disneyland Paris and Hong Kong Disneyland. So, you know, in the end, I can't get too upset and – you know, we we as time goes on, we always we only look back at the at the good things. Um, you know, no one remembers Walt's failures, but uh, right, yeah, we look back at the good things yeah. and we look forward at the bad things. That's right. a good point. Yeah. So, um, well, I, I, Mike, I just got I want to recognize you. Uh, you did great work uh, oh, well, the thanks. last couple of days. It and, was really uh, an honor Bravo. to be there. I just, I really appreciate the opportunity. It was something that I've been looking forward to for literally since the day they announced it when I was there working for Inside the Magic in in the uh in the audience at the D23 Expo 2015 when Bob Iger uh, announced the the project and I Fun said fact, to, at the studio's presentation at the wrong presentation and I would have <laughs> I would have been very angry if I hadn't attended both of them and and <laughs> didn't get to be there for that and then I remember saying to my former boss Ricky Briganti right afterwards I was like because I had just started working for him, and I was like, I, I want to be with you doing this job, uh, when that land opens up, and and go to that media event, and and I think he kind of rolled his eyes at the time, but he did eventually give me a full time gig there, and then and then a couple years later sold the site, and I, I'm just so thankful to you guys for uh, for bringing me aboard and and letting me follow through and and accomplish that that goal and that wish. I also want to recognize Kyle and uh, Rebecca, uh, who worked. You might not be familiar with Rebecca, but she really does a lot of the getting the stuff up on the site. And Kyle and is just a if all-star. you follow if you follow us on Instagram, and if you don't, you should. She's been doing some really cool stuff with our Instagram stories to teach the crazy kooky lingo of Batu. Yeah, I think those only last for twenty four hours, so they're probably gone. But she's going to try to experiment well, with more stories and stuff in the future. So. And she can save them. You can go in and save them to a um, – I forget what they call it. But, like, when you go to the main page for Laughing Place on Instagram, there's, like, these little bubbles. So, like, she could save them and archive them there where people can access them again because those are really creative. Any case, uh, they really worked long hours uh, without any of the glory of getting to be there. So um, yeah, Thank you. Thank you guys for that and, and for all the help. And uh, it really helped. It, helped it, it allowed Mike to explore the land and, and get us more content while they were busy uh, working and getting the stuff up so you could see it fast because I knew and, you know, I know the readers really want to see what's going on there. Um, and thank you to everyone who followed us the last couple of days and uh, and got all the I know there's lots of places you can get Star Wars Galaxy's Edge news. So um, and I encourage you to visit them all. We're not <laughs> they're each going to have a unique perspective. The way this event was structured, there was just and the way the land is structured, there's just not enough time to get it all in, in the time provided. So um, thank you for checking our coverage out. 
uh, got a lot more coming up in the next couple weeks from Toy Story uh, 4 and beyond, uh, and then obviously the big show at the D23 Expo. So uh, thank you for that. Um, we'll go around and see if anyone's got anything they want to talk about. Uh, Alex? Wayne and Gibbous. What did you just say? <laughs> Wayne and Gibbous. Wayne and Gibbous. <laughs> Kyle? Um, go Raptors. Go Wow. You made me watch 45 minutes of basketball while I waited for the trailer, so I figured I'd take a side. Was that a I make you cut? Wow. I'm such a slave driver. (laughs) No, you didn't make us, but it was just the easiest way. We had ABC on anyway. Can I I, I just tell you what's funny? uh, Kyle did a review of the ESPN 30 for 30 qualified, and in the review he talked about how weird the ending was. Yeah, and I dedicated so, a, like a whole paragraph, which was only like a four paragraph review. And then, so I send the I send the review to ESPN just to, as a courtesy. I think go back. Uh, yeah, there was a problem when we broadcast it, and the ending was cut off or something. To that and effect. this was like the one time I actually watched a thirty for thirty live on linear TV because normally they're on, you know, ESPN Plus or even before that. Sometimes they'll give us like screeners. So of course I'm just like, oh, that was kind of weird, but maybe that's just how regular TV is now. Mike, you got anything to say? I'm going to go watch the Deadwood movie because that's the other piece of media I am most excited for this year. It has nothing to do with Disney or Star Wars, but uh, I'll finish Just by saying – give it time. Uh, Just give it time. Yeah, okay. We'll wait a few years uh, when Time Warner folds and Disney buys wait, wait, when you when when you uh when you watch the Simpsons – five years ago when you were talking about the Simpsons, you'd be like, that has nothing to do with Disney. <laughs> Aha! Well, I'll wrap up by saying Rising Moons and Till the Spire. Well, thanks, guys, and we'll talk to you later. To the Shire.